0: Hey, listeners, it's Tavia, co-host of the Book Club Girl podcast, here to invite you to a special virtual event to celebrate the end of our very long season one.
1: And I'm Eliza. Can you believe it? Season one started in November of 2019. I don't know about you, but I am ready to kick back and take it all in. Heck yeah.
0: On June 23rd, we're hosting an online event featuring six of our favorite authors. We'll be joined by two guests from season one, Kate Quinn and Meg Cabot. Alessia, do you remember how much fun we had interviewing them? Both of those were really standout conversations to me. They were so much fun. Plus, we'll talk to two authors who have new books coming out while we're on break, Vanessa Riley and Alexis Daria. I have heard awesome things about their books. Yeah, me too. And two authors who we can't wait to have on the show in season two, Lucy Foley, author of the blockbuster bestseller, The Guest List, and Wiley Cash, author of the beloved A Land More Kind Than Home.
1: It's going to be so fun. Grab your book club and a bottle of wine and register for this free event at bookclubgirl.com slash events. There will be door prizes and a sneak preview of season two of the Book Club Girl podcast.
0: I hear the door prize is going to be a set of noise canceling headphones. (gasps) Whoa, good intel. Right? So don't forget, register at bookclubgirl.com slash events. We'll see you there on June 23rd. See you there. Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Tavia Kowalchuk, and today we are discussing a book that leans on a dysfunctional parent-child relationship, or rather more than one. I feel like this is something that comes up often in fiction, and I've definitely read more than one book where there's this dynamic, but I really appreciate the way that Tara Conklin did it in her novel, The Last Romantics, and we had her on the show last year So you might remember the conversation, but there's this one year where the mother falls into a deep depression and the kids are kind of like wild children and they just are taking care of themselves. And I really love the way that that year kind of colors the future, the rest of their relationship. So I think that's, for me, is like a really good example of a dysfunctional parent-child relationship in literature.
1: I totally agree. I'm Eliza Rosenberry. I loved The Last Romantics and our conversation with Tara. I remember she had really interesting things to say about that year that she depicted in the novel. I read a great new novel that just came out called Mary Jane by Jessica Anya Blau, where the main character's parents, it's set in 1970s Baltimore. And so it's all this like culture clash stuff. And her parents are really uptight, traditional country club, just by the book kind of people. And actually turn out to be like maybe a little like racist and like how devoted they are to these traditional ideas. And meanwhile, the main character, Mary Jane, her world is opening up. She's meeting all different kinds of people and becoming much more open-minded than her parents. And it's actually a really interesting portrayal of that dynamic because it actually does become slightly more functional as the novel progresses because her mother sort of has this evolution of thought alongside her teenage daughter, but I always find these generational tensions really interesting in fiction to sort of explore how that kind of stuff unfolds. For sure.
0: On today's show, a mind-bending mystery, an insightful exploration of parent-child relationships and a cautionary tale about bitterness and blame. Today we are talking about a thrilling novel from the USA Today and internationally best-selling author, Alison Galen. "Never Look Back will have you on the edge of your
1: seat." We are so thankful for you, our loyal listeners. Please share our show with a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We read all of our reviews and we really appreciate you sharing the love. And now we present to you, Never Look Back, Abridged. In 1976, teenage couple April Cooper and Gabriel Leroy went on a killing spree in the Inland Empire area of Southern California. 12 people were killed before the couple died in a fire at a religious compound. The book begins in 1976, where April Cooper is working on a ninth grade assignment, a letter to my future child, highlighting that she knows her life is about to change forever. In the present day, Quentin Garrison, a true crime podcast producer of the show Closure, which focuses on these 1970s murders, contacts website columnist, and April's daughter, Robin Diamond. Quentin reveals to Robin that he has reason to believe Robin's mother may be closely connected with the killings. Robin is astonished to hear these claims, but she begins to research the murders and becomes more and more disturbed by what she's finding. Robin's marriage is going through quite a rough patch as well, and her parents are the people she's always been able to rely upon. She knows her mother better than anyone, or so she thinks. But all that changes when, in an apparent home invasion, Robin's father is killed and her mother's life hangs in the balance. Told from three points of view, Robin, podcaster Quentin, and a series of letters written by 15-year-old April Cooper at the time of the killings, Never Look Back asks the question, how well do we really know our parents, our partners, and ourselves? I love that question. Tavia, what did you think of this book? I know. It's so funny. I
0: was just thinking about that question. I'm like, Eliza's going to ask me what I think of the book. And honestly, it definitely raised that question for me. There was so much obfuscation in this book. Everyone had a secret. And the way that Alison Galen spools out the story, it's just so masterful. I'm so impressed with the way she like releases little clues. And I really was like ricocheting back and forth to the very end. Like, he didn't, no, she didn't, no, he didn't, no, she didn't. That's not the truth. That's the truth. I really was guessing till I turned the very last page. And not that I'm like some genius mystery novel reader, and I always solve the crime ahead of time, but sometimes I do. And this one, I really was completely at a loss.
1: Yeah, totally the same for me. I was not able to figure it out. And it was so refreshing to read a truly twisty mystery like this, where you're sort of like you said, ricocheting back and forth between your own theories of what happened. It's fun to know that you're in really good hands when it comes to that kind of thing. There's nothing worse than reading a thriller and being like, oh, you know, like seeing them sort of lay the groundwork or have your suspicions confirmed at every step. It's fun to be in the suspended state of uncertainty. And Alison Galen is definitely like a master of that craft.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I also thought that for a book which is based on a true crime, right? It's based on this kidnapping murder spree, which Allison talks about in her author's note at the end of the book. There is actually this sort of sentimental romantic streak that runs through the book. Like the girl who gets kidnapped and brainwashed into this killing spree, her deepest, deepest desire is to be a mother. That's all she wants, right? Mm-hmm. The, the daughter's way that she wants to view her parents is deeply, I think, romantic, right? She just does not want to be disillusioned about her parents.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. That romantic streak is sort of set up to be like pretty tragic. It humanizes the characters and the story in a really impactful way. Yeah. I liked that this book played with the idea of the true crime podcast through the character of Quentin because I think. All of us grew up with all these ideas around true crime, right? Like watching Dateline and the media coverage in like the 90s of these true crime events, like the kidnapping of Elizabeth Smart or the O.J. Simpson trial or whatever. These events that capture our national attention that we all sort of obsess over. and And obviously now the last couple of years since Serial, the podcast, and all these other podcasts have sort of investigated unsolved crimes or gone back to sort of tell the untold story of a crime. And I think that's really an interesting narrative device to play with. And I'm excited to ask Allison why she wanted to incorporate that into her fictional narrative. To me, it was a little bit meta and I really appreciated that. And as a
0: podcaster who does a completely different kind of podcast, I really enjoyed the scenes where they were like getting the interview on tape and they were so excited. And Yeah, that's what the
1: Book Club Girl podcast looks like behind the scenes. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And finally, I think this is a very female forward novel. I think that the pillar characters of this book are women and specifically the daughter. And I just really appreciated that about it. I think so often in suspense novels, like the detective is a man and he's solving the crime and he's saving the girl and Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think there's so many great new, or not new, but like the last few years, I've been discovering so many new to me mystery and thriller authors who totally reject that sort of old fashioned model of what, a mystery and a crime novel looks like.
0: Yeah. And I really like the way she does that here. And again, this is like almost like another obfuscation of the book because the book starts out from the male podcasters, Quentin's point of view. So I Mm -hmm. think, you know, I thought the book was going to be about Quentin and then it kind of isn't really. So, all right, Eliza, I think I'm going to toast you with my water glass. (laughs) Cheers. I have my coffee mug. I, we ha- I've we i said this before, but we really have to record these things at night so I can have a glass of wine. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> the way a true book club is meant to be held. Exactly. Over Look, Cheers. Cheers, darling.
0: Quick reminder, we love hearing from you. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can stay connected with other book lovers and pose your own questions to authors who appear on our show. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash The Book Club Girls. And stay tuned after the show for a short exclusive sample from the Never Look Back audiobook.
1: Today, we're joined by Allison Galen, whose novel Never Look Back is available now. Allison, welcome
0: to the Book Club Girl podcast. We are so happy that you decided to join us today.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm so happy
1: to be here. So Allison, I want to jump right in with with a question for you about this novel. So you are, for our listeners, a seasoned thriller writer, and this book has so many twists and turns. So we wanted to start off by asking, how did you come up with the murders that are depicted in this book? And how do you usually approach that process of finding inspiration for your novels?
2: Well, it's interesting. There's so many murders in the book, so it's hard to single out, you know, some. But the story of April Cooper and Gabriel Leroy is based on the story of Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugate. And they were a teenage couple that went on a murder spree in the 1950s. And I said it in the 70s. The interesting thing and the thing that made me so fascinated about these murders which have been depicted in so many different movies and even songs. Uh, they were depicted in the movie Badlands and in the song Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen. And in all of those things, it almost seemed like they were the Romeo and Juliet story where Carol Ann was a completely willing accomplice. The murders that actually happened in the 1950s, Carol Ann Fugate was only 14 years old. Her boyfriend, quote-unquote, Charles Starkweather, was 19. And he killed her family and basically kidnapped her. And she was in shock the entire time. And then when they were finally, after 12 murders, apprehended by the police, she thought she was being rescued. And then she ended up getting tried and convicted as an accomplice to murder and sentenced to life. She was eventually let out. But to me, it just goes to show how horribly misunderstood this poor girl was. And so I wanted to write something from a girl like that's point of view, somebody who becomes infamous through very little fault of her own. But also, I wanted to make her into sort of less of a victim than I see Carolyn Puget having been. And so I told this story that branched off into the story of Never Look Back, taken from that time period and then also in the present day based on how something like that can have a rippling effect, not only for the people involved, but for future generations as well. So yeah, and as far as getting my inspiration, I'm a huge True Crime fan, and I'm very often inspired by True Crime. From when I was 10 years old and read Helter Skelter, I've been fascinated by these true crime stories. And when one really hits me, when I think, what if that happened to me? Or what if I knew those people? Then I know it's something that I want to sort of create and make into a book. That's not always necessarily my inspiration, but a lot of true crime stories are. So, the
0: big question that sort of arises in the reader as we're going through this book is how well do we really know our parents? I think everybody has had that moment where their parents has let a detail slip that is inconsistent with how we perceive our parents. That happens in a really big way in this book. Can you talk about this theme a little bit?
2: Absolutely. I mean, in the book, in the present day, a woman in her early 40s, St. Robin, learns through a true crime podcaster that her mother may or may not be the infamous April Cooper's Teenage Serial Killer. The thing with that whole theme that fascinates me so much, I mean, a lot of suspense writing and a lot of the writing I've done focuses on how well do you really know your children? But the fact is you have known them since birth. So you don't know everything that's going on in your mind, but your parents were fully realized, actualized adults who had millions of moments of shame and nobility and all kinds of things before you were born that you never knew about and might not ever know about. So all of our feelings towards our parents, it's sort of how they treated us, how we were raised, how we looked at them through these sort of the lens of being their child and depending on them. And they become these characters in our minds. But the fact is, we will never fully know them. And that can be somewhat terrifying. I always like to write about things that scare me. And the idea of not really knowing the family as well as you think you do, especially your, uh, maybe your parents, is something that I really wanted to sort of explore.
1: So sort of building on that question, I wanted to ask about the letters. So part of this novel is told through the use of letters that April writes as a teenager to her future child. I have to admit, it made me like a little uneasy reading these letters. They're sort of like on the cusp of something changing for her. And so can you explain why you wanted to use that
2: device? Yeah, I went through a couple of different ways that I was going to tell the story. I was thinking, well, maybe I'll tell it in first-person, present tense. But that didn't work out. It didn't feel comfortable. And then I thought about uh, her keeping a journal, but she didn't seem like the type of person who would keep a journal. But um, so I thought, well, what if it starts out as a school assignment, write a letter to your future child, and then it becomes something of a professional or a journal. And that really worked for me because this character, April Cooper, really wants nothing more than to be a mother someday. That's her dream. That is what she wants. And, uh, you know, so the idea that she would tell her future child things that she wouldn't even admit to herself made sense to me thematically. And in terms of the plot, it made that seem like the right tool with which to tell the story.
0: I really like the scene where we met April's teacher who gave her all those assignments. I thought that was just a very wonderful scene in the book. And it was like a very unique perspective on April that no one else had brought to the conversation around her yet. I like that part. Thank you. But let's talk about Quentin. So without giving anything away, what was your idea for Quentin's character? And specifically, we are most interested in why did you make him a podcaster? (laughs) What did that bring to the book for you?
2: Well, I like to write about journalists a lot. I'm a journalist myself. And, but there's something about the podcast and a lot of them have a very personal angle and they have the feeling that you're sitting around a campfire kind of, you know, that just the idea of being that intently listening to something and being involved in the story only orally, you know, is kind of fascinating to me. And I feel like people tend to get a little more personal in podcasts. I think they find it maybe a little bit easier to do that. And Quentin, the podcaster, is telling a deeply personal story. His family was very deeply affected by the Cooper-Leroy murders. And investigating to see if April Cooper might still be alive, it dredges up a lot of things for him. And so it becomes one of these podcasts that starts out As one thing, an investigative story, and ends up a personal journey and kind of a terrifying one at that. I thought the podcast just seemed like the best way to go about that. I mean, when you're researching a news story that's going to be in print, you're a little bit more removed from things, maybe. There's a barrier between kind of when you write something and when you're thinking of it. The same thing if maybe you're putting together a documentary and you're filming, you're behind a camera, it's not quite as intimate. So the podcasting idea just seemed to be the most sort of intimate and personal way that a journalist might explore something.
1: Coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, Allison answers more questions. And later in the show, we ask about her literary white whale. Stick around.
0: This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by Find You First by Linwood Barkley. The New York Times bestselling author of Elevator Pitch and Master of Psychological Suspense returns with a riveting thriller in which the possible heirs of a dying tech millionaire are mysteriously being eliminated one by one. It's available now wherever books are sold.
1: Welcome back to the show. This episode, we're speaking with Alison Galen, author of Never Look Back. Speaking of another character, and I was saying earlier to Eliza,
0: like, you kind of do a switcheroo on the reader. Like, the way the book starts out, I thought the book was going to be about Quentin, and then ultimately it's about Robin. And you put her through so much in this book. You throw the truth of her family into question. Her husband is a major disappointment. Like, all this other stuff happens to her. Why? Why do you do this to poor (laughs) Robin?
2: Yeah, she's leading. She's not a Kathy Camper throughout most of this book, is she? No. I think she starts out as somebody who's pretty reasonably, I was going to say reasonably secure in her life, but that's not really true because she's got doubts about her husband from the beginning of the book. But I do think her story is like, well, if you think that's bad, well, how about this? I wanted somebody who really, this is a real common thing for a lot of people is, you know, there are people out there who think their parents can do no right. Well, she thinks her parents can do no wrong. You know, she has been raised by a mother who she feels that she knows thoroughly, the kindest person she knows, and sort of her, she lives just a few blocks away from her parents. And this is her one sense of stability for parents, plus she's an only child. So, I like to sort of pull the rug out from under characters and guess in Robin's case she gets a couple of rugs pulled out from under her. But you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. At least for part of the book, Robin becomes stronger.
1: So this novel had me shocked several times. That's there's plot twists at the beginning, at the end, in the middle. And so I wanted to ask about how you approach those twists. How do you dream those up? And is that one of your favorite parts to write is it really challenging how does that work for you
2: Twists kind of sneak up on me when I'm writing I think a really important thing for a twist is to not just look like you're trying to freak the reader out or, or surprise them but to have them go oh right that was there all along you got to try to hide them in plain sight so that's what I try to do I think never look back it might be my twistiest book yet and I have to admit, get a little addicted to writing twists when I'm writing something because I think, <laughs> well, if, if this happens, then maybe this can happen too, and then maybe then that would make this happen, and then you know, you just kind of go for it.
1: <laughs> I love that addicted to twists. <laughs> as a reader,
0: I found them addictive. As a reader, like okay. I did not know till the very last page what the heck was happening. Like it was, it was amazing. It was a great experience as a reader.
2: I'm so glad. That makes me really happy. Thank you. So now that I'm addicted to
0: your twisty novels, I need to know, can you tell us about any projects that you have coming up?
2: Yes. um, I have a book called The Collective coming out in November. And it's different than my other books in that it's a little more of a high concept thriller. It's also first person, present tense. So only one point of view in this book. And it's about a grieving mother, obviously devastated by the death of her child and whose killer went unpunished. She meets on the dark web, a bunch of like-minded mothers who either through role play or reality seem to be participating in avenging the deaths of their children. So that's all I can say. Wow, what (laughs) a premise. I'm hooked. I know. That's amazing. I love it. Me too. Thank you.
1: I can't wait to read it. So one more question for you today. It's a question we ask every author who appears on our show, which is, what is your literary white whale? So that's a book you've always meant to read or one that you've just never gotten around to finishing.
2: I'll tell you what, weirdly enough, it's Um, (laughs) Catch-22. It might be like the most cleverly written book I've ever read, and it's almost like too clever. And (laughs) Every time I have tried to read it, and it's been several times, I've gotten very far in it, and I keep writing down lines from it. It has my favorite line in the world, which is, "And if that wasn't funny, there were lots of things that weren't even funnier." Like, "Oh my, what a line!" <laughs> so it's so clever that I just I dwell too much on each sentence, and I haven't been able to get through it, and then I want to reread it again. So that's a great one. <laughs> but someday, <laughs> yeah, I'll get that's, all the that's way almost like. It.
1: Without just being too much in awe of each sentence. I love that. Well, Alison, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. This was so much fun and we loved the book and can't wait to read The Collective.
2: Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me.
0: That was Alison Galen, whose book Never Look Back is out now. To find out more about Allison's book and how to buy it, head to bookclubgirl.com slash podcast, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode.
1: Like what you heard? Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and leave a review. We read all of our reviews on the show. And another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast is to tell a friend, which really helps other people to find us.
0: You'll hear from us again in two weeks, where we'll be speaking with Karen Slaughter about her book, The Silent Wife. Please stay in touch with us between episodes. We're both on Instagram. You can find us at Tavia Reads and at Eliza Is Reading, and of course, at Book Club Girl.
1: Before we go, a big thank you to our producer, Caroline Quash, who produced today's episode, and our audio editor and engineer, Samantha Doyle of Hangar Studios. And of course, to Allison Galen for joining us, and to Maureen Cole for introducing us to Allison.
0: Until next time, I'm Tavia.
1: And I'm Eliza.
0: Happy reading!
3: Robin's work extension buzzed. Assuming it was Eileen, she closed Twitter and corralled her thoughts back to her column about a proposed all-female remake of The Magnificent Seven, which she was in favor of despite, or more likely because of, all the online hate it was receiving from men. Robin cleared her throat. That was fast, she said. Ms. Diamond? The voice was male and young. Reedy. Touch of vocal fry. Robin glanced at the caller ID screen and saw an unfamiliar outside line. A 213 area code. Los Angeles. Movie publicist, she thought, readying for the pitch what I wouldn't give for a glass of wine. Yes? Hi, my name is Quentin Garrison. I work for KAMC, an NPR affiliate in the Los Angeles area, but I'm out in New York right now. Yes? I'm working on a podcast. Robin frowned. Yes? I hear noise in the background. Is it hard for you to talk privately where you are? Robin glanced around the room, as though she were seeing where she was for the first time. The Daily Culture offices were set up as an open newsroom, art, copy, and editorial all in the same large space. At the next desk over, Jill, the music editor, was ordering Thai food in her too loud voice. David from Photo was a few desks away, going over red carpet art on an enormous screen with Michael, the creative director. The two of them complaining about all the rear view poses, the over the shoulder. If I have to look at one more set of ass implants, Michael was saying. Believe me, Robin said, no one is paying attention to this conversation. Great, he cleared his throat. Great, we can talk then. Robin Googled his name on her Mac, Quentin Garrison, adding NPR and podcasts for good measure. A picture popped up at the top of her screen a bespectacled, sweet faced young man, along with a bio from KAMC's website. She glanced at it. I think you may have the wrong person, she said. Alice Zeruli is our true crime editor. Not a chance. Excuse me? I'm working on a podcast called Closure about the Inland Empire Killers. I have a relative who was one of their victims, hence the title. Okay. I'm trying to get in contact with your mother. Robin blinked. My mother.